So you survived Thanksgiving, right? This is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and uh, so what now? That's the question I want to talk about today, is what now? Usually, usually you get a Thanksgiving message before Thanksgiving, right? To kind of pump you up for it and, and get you ready for all that uh, food and family and fun and all that stuff, you know? Um, but I kind of thought that I would like to, this time, do a message after Thanksgiving, because at the holidays, you know, I get a little freedom, um, you know, to do something a little bit different and, and mix it up a little bit and give us, a, uh, you know, some variety from our, our marching through the Word of God, which is our, one of our hallmarks, by the way, to march through the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That doesn't mean that, you know, speaking about a certain subject or topic is bad. And so that's what we're going to do today. And uh, I've titled it ATF. And you, know, you all know what ATF means? Wrong. <laughs> That's close, but we're not going to talk about alcohol today. We're not going to talk about tobacco. And we're not going to talk about firearms. ATF means after the feast. This is after Thanksgiving, right? The after Thanksgiving message. After the feast, right? And this is, I got a few ATFs for you, a few after the, uh, and, and, but the first one, after the feast, is what do we do now? What goes on afterwards? We've had this big thing, and, and you know, sometimes after the big events that we have, there's this lull, and, and maybe even, I don't know about you, but I think I face this, especially after Christmas, a kind of a letdown. Any of you ever face that? It's just kind of like, oh. So what do you do after the feast? All that food, all that family... All that football, all that fun. Some of you are still groaning for some of those. Maybe some of those are really a problem. Maybe the family. Maybe the football. What do you do after the feast? Are you still thankful? Are you still thankful? Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. After the feast, look at verse 41. Chapter 2 of Luke, it says, Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. They would do this every year. They had this tradition, and we have our traditions, and there's traveling involved sometimes. But it says, verse 43, look at this, after the feast was over. What happens then? After the feast was over, what do we do then? We look forward to these things, we're, we get excited, you know, we're, we're, we're preparing for them, but, but uh, they end, they finish. And this feast was over, the Passover feast, where they would come and, and they would celebrate. They would celebrate the, the, the giving of the lamb and the blood that was put on the doorposts and, the, and then seven days of, of feasting to celebrate what God did and the, and the fact that God took these people, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt in what we call the Exodus. So after the feast was over, look what happens. While his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Chaos. What happens after the feast? In this particular case, there's chaos and there's confusion. 
There's an unsettled feeling, like things are not going the way they should. And, and maybe that's, uh, you know, what's going on with you. You know, things seem to make sense during the feast, but afterwards it's not making any sense. There's confusion. You can't find what you're looking for. Verse 46, after three days, after three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Maybe your mother said that to you <laughs> this holiday season. Why have you treated us like this? Why haven't you called? Why didn't you call? You know, you, you heard those, those words before, perhaps. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus says those words. We know we've heard those words before. Depending on you know, when we grew up, which translation. Uh, we grew up with the King James translation. He says, I, didn't you know I had to be about my what? Father's business. And here in the NIV translate, it's, uh, I had to be in my father's house. They're both correct. And in actual fact, uh, some, the, the, the understanding is kind of added. Basically, the simplicity of it is I had to be about my father. I had to be about everything about my father. I had to be involved with him. I had to be where he was. Literally, in or at my father's either about my father's affairs or in my father's court where he dwells and is to be found about his hand. Some have translated this. I had to be about what he's doing. What do we do after the feast is over? We've done all that stuff. Jesus made it very clear what he knew was the right thing to do. I had to be about my father's business. I had to be where the father was. I had to be involved with him. I had to be in connection with him. I had to be in communion with him. If you're looking, if you're searching, like what is supposed to happen in my life, the number one thing is to, to, to be where he is, to be with him, to spend time with him. We've talked about that uh, in previous sections of Matthew, of knowing him. Do you really know him? Jesus said, I, I have to be following after the Father. I have to be with him. I have to be about his business. I have to be walking after him. What do you have to do afterwards, after the feast? Still thankful, still serving, still walking after him. I really like this verse I read in, in Mark chapter 7, or excuse me, Mark chapter 8, where, they, <clears throat> where Jesus did the miracle of feeding the 4,000. And it says that, you know, they had a few small fish, and he gave thanks for them also, the, the bread and the fish, and, and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate and were satisfied. They had a feast, right? And it says, afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. What did they have to do after the feast? They had to clean up. They had to pick up the pieces. And sometimes these things that are supposed to be so happy, so joyful, they're not always so happy and so joyful, right? So what do we do afterwards? We have to pick up the pieces. We need to clean up the mess. It's my job. After we have meals like this, that I get to do the dishes, okay? That's my job. I don't make all the cooking stuff. I sit on the couch during all that. 
right? But afterwards, it's my job to go in there and clean up. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm like Martha, you know, why isn't anybody helping me, you know? But, but those of you know, you had a really nice feast, but afterwards, it's like piles and piles of dishes and, and leftovers and stuff, and you've got to do something about it. You can't just go out and watch TV. It doesn't take care of itself, right? So after the feast, maybe, think about this, you need to pick up some pieces. You need to get to work. You need to do what needs to be done. Not just, you know, go and kick back. You can kick back after the work's done. If they let you. Number one, after the feast. About the father's business. In the father's house. Spending time with him. Doing what we need to do. Walking after God. Still. Still, the key word is still. We do these things before, we've got to keep doing them. Press on. Keep doing. Still. Number two. Anybody guess what number two is going to be? After the, begins with an F. Hello. <laughs> I'm picking on her today because she picked on me. After the what? No. Sorry. This goes back a little further than football. After the fall. The fall of man, Genesis chapter 3. In the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, right? One of our foundations. The truth of the book of Genesis. After the fall. It's a terrible, terrible, wicked thing that happened. You, you go read Genesis chapter 1. Then you read Genesis chapter 2 and all the wonderful things that God created. God created the human race. God created the, the earth and the, 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 the sun and the moon and the stars and all the animals. And, and, and he created us. But in chapter 3, we see what happens is something terrible, terrible happened. The fall, we call it the fall of the human race. And, and so what happens after the fall? Is it all over after that? No. Yes, there would be consequences. And as a matter of fact, when you read it, you'll see that they were, they were forced out of the Garden of Eden. They were uh, called to have to work hard. They were called to have painful childbirth. There were consequences after the fall. But God said you need to carry on. You need to go on. He, he, you remember he made clothing for them, right? And he, he, you know, equipped them to carry on. God wants you and I to carry on, to press on. That life would still carry on after the fall. It, it says in Genesis chapter 9, another ATF. This is not one of my four by this. is a bonus one. After the flood, after the flood, it says, Noah lived 350 years. The flood was cataclysmic. And again, this is one of the things of, you know, I don't care, you know, um, what, what the world is trying to say about things, but geology and, and scientific research is, is showing again and again the facts of Genesis being backed up. They want, to, they want to look at some other reasons for it, but the truth is that there was a thing called the flood uh, uh, that covered the whole earth. But after the flood... Noah still had 350 years. God forbid that any of us are going to live 350 years after the feast, after the fall, after anything, right? 350 years, man. It wasn't all easy for him either, was it? 
But he had to walk. He had to walk with God. He had to walk with God. Maybe, maybe for you and I, it's a personal fall. What do we do? Do we just give up and stop? Do we say, forget it? I want you to turn with me to, to the little uh, minor prophet called Micah, chapter 7, verse 7. Micah 77. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Very good. <clears throat> 512, 5-5-12. Some of you remember we studied the, the different order of the books. It's all broken into good, easy-to-remember sections. But in the book of the, the Minor Prophets, in verse 7, of chapter 7 in Micah, he says, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. He says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall, and even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. After the fall, what do you do? What does it say here? He says, we got to get up. I will rise. In our own strength? No, he says, the Lord will be my light. The Lord will pick me up. The Lord will take me on. The Lord will do what needs to be done to give me a future and a hope. After the fall, after we fall, and we all fall, we're all sinners. We're saved by grace. Number three. Anybody guess now what number three is? Okay, you, you figured out the part. It's going to begin with an F. You got that part. Okay. After the... I like that. No, that's not it. 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. Who knows what happens in 1 Kings chapter 18? We're not actually going to look at chapter 18, but chapter 18 is what I'm referring to here. So, someone said it. Uh, no, that's, that's the second half, just before that. We'll get to that, though. You stole my thunder. Oh, now i got to make up something else. No, after the fight, there was a fight. There was a fight that took place on Mount Carmel, right, between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal, the false god, and 400 prophets of Asherah, and on... And we look at this, and you can read it. We're not going to look at it today. But they had this massive battle up on top of Mount Carmel, and the Lord gave an incredible victory. Incredible victory. You have to read it to see all this stuff that happened. And, and there was no question about it that, that God is... Look in verse 39 of chapter 18. They all, the people saw this. They fell prostrate, and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Incredible battle between the false gods and between the false gods and the true and living God, and, and he showed himself to be the, the only true and living God. And the Lord gave this huge, great victory in the life of Elijah. 
But what about after the fight? What happens after that? Elijah became famous. Elijah, you know, was excited. He went on a speaking tour. He wrote a book and became, you know, uh, very wealthy and, you know, told about all his experiences. Is that what happened to him? God, no. We'll see what happens with him in the, in the Lord, with God himself. Look at verse 19. Now Ahab had told, chapter 19, verse 1, I'm sorry. Now Ahab told Jezebel, uh, Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. He was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he, he came to a broom tree, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. After the fight, after this incredible, incredible fight, what does he do? What happens? Fear takes over. After the fight, the fear. Isn't that kind of true sometimes? We have this incredible experience with God at one point or another, and then, and then afterwards. What happens afterwards? What do we do after? Sometimes we face these kinds. He, he was, you want to talk about depression... You, you, you get depressed, you should go and read this chapter. You want to talk about being down. This guy says, you know what, I, I'm done. Uh, you know, take me home. I, I've had enough. There's no point in me being here. I'm no better than anybody else. Take my life. At least he's talking to the Lord about this. And then in verse 5, it says he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. God feeds him. God replenishes his energy. At least he was going to God. And so for you and I, after the fight, when we're completely wiped out and we got nothing left and we're even filled with fear, know that God wants to take care of us and God wants to strengthen. That God is still God. God is still God. He won that victory before. He's going to show the victory again. He provided exactly what Elijah needed in that particular case. Still in contact with God, despite his fear, despite his being so down, he's running for his life. He was still in trusting God, still trusting God. Jump down to verse 11, the fourth and final ATF, and he already mentioned it here, is after the fire. Look at verse 11. It says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. After the fire, after all these radical things were happening, 
But God wasn't really in any of them. He allowed those things to happen, maybe even brought them to pass. They were all radical. But after all of them and after the fire, it says it came, the, the voice of God. The gentle whisper, the King James Version says, that still, small voice. After the fire. What do you do after, after all these radical things can happen in your life? After the fight, after the fear, after the fleeing, after all these things are happening, what happens is God speaks to him. He, he's still listening for that still, small voice. He heard it. I don't know if you catch the common theme through all this. After all these things can happen in our lives, we need to maintain that contact. We need to still trust, still believe, still listen, still walk after that relationship that we have with God. That's what's going to make the difference in our lives. That's what made the difference in Elijah's life. Be still. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know what? That I am God, he says. Be still before the Lord, Psalm 37 says. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Exodus says the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need to be still and listen. So after the feast, after the fall, after the fight, after the fire, after these things that happen in our lives, you know, to still be thankful. Still serving, still trusting, still listening, still in contact with God. I want to close with a, 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 quoting some words of a song by uh, somebody named Jeremy Camp. M many of you know who, who he is. Jeremy Camp actually is a, uh, a son of a Calvary Chapel pastor in Indiana. <clears throat> so we kind of have a connection with him. Maybe we'll get him to come here and sing someday. I don't know. That would be awesome. But he was married uh, when he was 23 years old, and, and uh, his wife developed ovarian cancer. And they were married for a very short period of time, about six months or so, and, and she died when, when uh, she was 21. And so his first album, uh, many of the songs kind of are talking about what he was going through during that period of time. And this song called, I Still Believe, was the first song he wrote after she died. It's called, I Still Believe. Let me read the words to you. It says, Scattered words and empty thoughts seem to pour from my heart. I've never felt so torn before. Seems I don't know where to start. But it's now that I feel your grace falls like rain from every fingertip washing away my pain. He says the chorus, I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your truth. I still believe in your holy word. Even when I don't see, I still believe. Another section says, The only place I can go to is in your arms, where I throw to you my feeble prayers. In brokenness, I can see that this was your will for me. Help me to know you are near. I still believe. I want you to turn with me for one final verse in Psalm 73, verse 24. Psalm 73, verse 24. 
you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, after it's all said and done, he says, you will take me into glory. Whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. After that final curtain, he says, you will take me into glory. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Spirit's help in this life. After the things that happen in this life, some of them are, are happy things. Some of them are not so happy things. After the feast, after maybe a famine, after a fall. These things where we can turn to you and, and no matter what they are, that, that we can walk with you and we can still believe that you are faithful. Still believe that your hand is ever powerful after that fight where we feel completely wiped out. We still believe in your faithfulness and your truth. That you are God. As we, as we still our hearts before you and know that you are God. Father, I, I don't know all the situations of these people here today. But you know each and every one of us. You know the, the deepest parts of each one of us. You know what we face. You know who we are. I pray that you would meet each one of us. And you would speak to us with that still small voice, that gentle whisper. And lead us and guide us with your counsel. And we look forward as well, Lord, afterward, when you will take us into glory. Bless our week of prayer this coming week, Lord, that as we just sur surrender and submit to you, Lord, that you would have your way and, and you would lead us and guide us, Lord. I pray for any here this morning who are searching for truth. If that's you this morning, you, you simply need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I need truth. I need you. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man would come to the Father except through him. So if that's you this morning, turn to him. He's the way. He is the truth, and he is the life, and the only way to get to the Father is through him. So simply open your heart and say, Jesus, Come into my life. I surrender to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.